If someone were to ask you what's going to happen in the future, what would you tell them? Where would you say that World War III is going to start? What about Iran and Israel or Iran and Saudi Arabia? Though they're both Muslim countries, one is a Sunni outfit, the other one is a Shiite. They don't get along at all. What's in between Iran and Saudi Arabia, Iraq? The American coalition in the Gulf War took out the government of Iraq. It took out its head, its leader, Saddam Hussein. And many of the Americans feel justified in doing so, for he had weapons of mass destruction, which proved false. He did not have any of them. His intention was to go with gold. If we wanted their oil, we'd have to pay in gold. And we wanted to pay in U.S. dollars. But no, he wouldn't cooperate with that, so they had to take him out. At least that's the way I understand it. But what does the Bible have to say about the Middle East? What do you know and what can you tell others about the Middle East? Is it really the place where World War III will be? What about all of Europe? What about New York City? Maybe these places are Babylon, the great mother of harlots. Well, what about it? What would you say to someone like that that would tell you such a thing? Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Why would the Middle East be the center when Europe is so much more powerful and so is Russia and so is China and so is India now? And the United States, all nuclear powers. You know that Pakistan has nuclear powers? Pakistan, a Muslim country. Now Europe is a Muslim country as well, by the way. They have been thoroughly invaded by Muslims. And so is the UK. A friend of mine just got back from there. There's Muslims all over the place there. Well, are Muslims going to uh, function in World War III? Well, I think you're going to find that there will be war in the Middle East. And it will be between Israel, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, and their surrounding countries like Egypt, Libya, Syria, Sudan, Russia, northern Turkey. I think it will be a true world war. I think Ukraine will definitely be part of it. So will Romania and Bulgaria and Greece. 
everybody on the planet will be affected by World War III. According to the Bible, it will be a world war. Now, why? Why would World War III start knowing there will be no outcome that's any good for anybody? And who will stop World War III? Well, I've got news for you. The one who will stop it is none other than Jesus Christ. I've said this before lots of times, but there are about 30 possible reasons why it will start in the Middle East, and it will be between Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, and Israel, of course. And then all the other nations will get sucked into World War III. The reasons are, and I'll just briefly go over these, to put fear into other nations, to gain control of oil-rich countries, to reduce populations, to deter aggression, simple revenge, to defeat an enemy or show off their might and power, to defeat a rival religion and kill them off, to block another country from approaching to remove peace of mind from others, greed to gain the resources of a rival, to destroy others, their property and their land, and take it over, limited tactical use of weapons, nuclear weapons, which escalates out of hand into World War III, response to a challenge, to defend yourself as a country, to remove the possibility of an enemy's retaliation, accidental button push, one thing will lead to another, a wicked leader who was demon-possessed to destroy the headquarters of the UN, NATO, the World Health Organization, or somebody else, to stop globalism or globalism to change the status quo, to create a distraction. They might think that the nuke button is the great reset button. Think about that one for a while. To resist the health control, agricultural control, the WHO, the WEF, or other globalist agenda aggression. To create a new crisis never waste a good crisis, to kill and thus control the water of governments nearby your source of water, to bring about regime change, ignorance of the dangers, his persecution coming to Christians in the United States? Absolutely. And 29, not tempted by gold, they will seek their own agenda, and 30, to end war, deflect attention, get the oil or other resources. So, let's take a look at Matthew 6. That's an odd place to start. Let's go there and see why I say this. 
In verse 19 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actual darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And this is what I want to talk about. In verse 33, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. But don't be fooled into thinking that persecution is not coming. Flip on back then to Matthew 24, where we usually go quite often as podcasters about prophecy. Starting in verse 9, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Did not Jesus say, When I return to the earth, shall I find faith on the earth? He did say that. He said it in Luke 18, long about verse 8. I'm going to back up to verse 6. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them and quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? The whole purpose of this podcast is to build your faith. I've got no axe to grind. I don't need your email, and I don't want your money. Period. Nobody has sent me one nickel in five years. If they did, I would send it back. I don't want your money. I want to build your faith your faith in Jesus, for he is the King of kings, and he is alive today, and he is returning. I want you to know that you can go to God to get your comfort. He is your happiness provider, and those provisions will be made even through World War III. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote these words in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, 
God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Did you know that was in there? He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others as well. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So now we know why Jesus said, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. Now, it said, he said that it would be from our own household. The household of God, you mean the church will be your place of persecution, possibly? Well, let me read on here in Matthew 24, in verse 10. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Well, that sounds like it's churchmen to me. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So we will have to endure to the end to be saved. That's what it sounds like. Either the end of our lives or the end of the war. The trouble that is coming on the earth. In verse 15, he reminds us, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Now this holy place could be a Muslim holy place, where it all starts, or it could be the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Why? Well, because the Muslims have a mosque sitting on that same hill. What would happen if they were to sabotage that and then blame the Jews just to start World War III? I talked to a Jew about it, and I've said this before on the podcast, and he said it happens all the time over there. He was in the Israeli army, so he ought to know what he's talking about. And yes, it will get to the point where then those in Judea, verse 16, must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down to get anything in his house to pack. A person out in the field must not even return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those times. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great ever again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened. Who's going to shorten it? Jesus will. That's who. It will be shortened. Why? For the sake of God's chosen ones. Let's not forget, by the way, what Jesus said in Matthew 10, in verse 36. Well, let's back up and give you a little uh, background. 
Let's go to uh, verse 33. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth, at least not at this time. He said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. But if you love your father or mother more than me, then you're not worthy of being mine. That's pretty scary stuff. If you love or your son or your daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow after me, or follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. Verse 40, Matthew 10. And anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives my Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive a righteous man because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. If you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of these, my followers, you will surely be rewarded. He is predicting persecutions even from parents and children, even from relatives and friends, even from the church. That's the way it is. Now, let me give you a little example. If you're not careful with what you say at church, and it doesn't happen to jive with their doctrinal statement, and you go ahead and say something about it, you could get persecuted over it. You could get called into the board, and they would blackball you and maybe disfellowship you. That's persecution, folks. Well, that could happen to you, too. That's a warning. Jesus said to expect that. And what are you going to do if and when it were to happen to you? But what about the Middle East and them persecuting us as Christians? Well, it's happening today and every day. Only it's not intense yet here in America, but it will come to America Don't think that it won't. America has a rule that was put in force by a corrupt politician named Lyndon B. Johnson. He set up a thing against the church called 501c3. If you want tax relief as a church group, you must comply to their rules. It's called 501c3, and that has to be maintained on a monthly basis. And so 
somebody in the church is watching that. It's watching that so that they can maintain their tax-free status and not have to pay taxes because if they did have to pay taxes, they wouldn't have enough money to run the church and it would fold. And that's their greatest fear. So don't expect to go against this doctrinal statement given by the U.S. government and not get persecuted about it. So beware and be careful what you say to anybody in church. Now, I'm not trying to discourage church attendance. No, I want you to just be prepared and be aware of things like this. You need to be careful. I need to be careful what I say, too. Take, for example, just one doctrine. The doctrine of eternal conscious torment. And many of my listeners have heard me talk about it before. But if you start talking about that in the church and you don't believe in eternal conscious torment because they can't, you can't find it in the Bible, then you may get yourself into some persecution. But is that the correct penalty for sin? If it is, then we don't have a Savior in Jesus. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. But Jesus paid the correct penalty, which was death, not eternal life in the flames of hell. So either you can have Christ who did pay the right penalty and no hell, or you can have no Savior and eternal conscious torment which you will not find anywhere in the pages of the Bible. In the last five minutes, I want to show you something in Jeremiah 51, which I heartily recommend you listeners and those interested in prophecy should read, because this is about Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And it tells you so much that's already... Uh, you're, you're already aware of if you read Revelation. For example, verse 8 in Jeremiah 51 starts like this. But suddenly Babylon too has fallen. Weep for her. Give her medicine. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have helped her if we could, but nothing can save her now. Let her go. Abandon her. Return now to your own land for her punishment reaches to the heavens. It is so great it cannot be measured. The Lord has vindicated us, unquote. Dropping down to verse 14, the Lord of heaven's armies has taken this vow and has sworn to it by his own name. Your cities will be filled with enemies like fields swarming with locusts, and they will shout in triumph over you. In verse 17, the whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make, for their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They're ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. And that day is coming. That's what prophecy is really about. 
But the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including his people. His own special possession, the Lord of Heaven's armies, is his name. I will repay, verse 24, Babylon and the people of Babylonia, that's the whole realm of their jurisdiction, which includes, by the way, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, part of southern Turkey, and lots of other countries which they actually controlled at the time. But I will repay Babylon for all the wrong they have done to my people in Jerusalem, says the Lord. I am your enemy, says the Lord. I will raise my fist against you to knock you down from the heights. When I am finished, there will be nothing but a heap of burning rubble, unquote. Verse 32, all escape routes have been blocked. The marshes have been set on fire, set aflame, and the army is in panic. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Babylon is like wheat on a threshing floor about to be trampled. In just a little while, her harvest will begin. Now, this was talking about King Nebuchadnezzar at the time. This is back in the days of Daniel. And Daniel had a lot to say about it. But this is a type of what's going to happen in the future, talking to us, if you ask me. In verse 37, And Babylon will become a heap of ruins, haunted by jackals. She will be an object of horror and contempt, a place where no one lives. Her people will roar together like strong lions. They will growl like lion cubs. And while they lie inflamed with all their wine, I will prepare a different kind of feast for them. I will make them drink until they fall asleep, and they will never wake up again, says the Lord. What do you make of that? He repeats that only a little more strongly in verse 50. Seven, I will make her officials and her wise men drunk, along with her captains, officers, and warriors. They will fall asleep and never wake up again, says the king, whose name is the Lord of Heaven's armies. They can't be alive, burning eternally in hellfire, and asleep at the same time. It wouldn't do any good. They wouldn't feel it if they're asleep. And they certainly would not be able to sleep in fire. So what do you make of that? That's a proof text, if you ask me. Jesus, God, the king of the universe, signs off on it twice. He signs his name to it. We discount his name, apparently. We don't believe him. We don't want to believe him. That's all Old Testament stuff. Well, it's in God's Word, it's all God's Word, and it's in there for a reason. You can't find any clearer passages, I challenge you, try, that discount the idea that there is such a thing as eternal conscious torment. It's just simply not in the Bible. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I don't want you to go through persecution But 
Maybe it's good for us. Maybe we need that. Maybe we need to repent as a community, repent as a church, and get stronger and forget about the 501c3 idea and being complicit with that, but discounting the word of God, taking the U.S. government's word for it over the word of God itself, and God's name is on it? What are we doing? You can go to I Tell Why, my website, and you can read more. You can hear my Life of Christ audio book there and other things. There's lots of things to do at I Tell Why, including watch these faith-building videos. There's a whole bunch of them right up front on the front page. Just click and watch and see on-the-ground proof that God is alive and that Jesus rose from the dead. So go there and take a look, if you will, itellwhy.com. I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in today.